you pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there anything here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. Today at Matthew's Gospel, we'll read a story of two women. And the story has been 12 years in the making for both of them. And one died too young, and the other had been 12 years walking a living death. And then the touch of Jesus brought them from death to life. Today on, on More Than, Than Ink. Hey, hey, look who's sitting across the dining room table from me. It's Dorothy. <laughs> and Jim is sitting across from me. And we actually are sitting at our dining room table. And we really enjoy this, in case you're thinking this is all a bit fake. We we have so much fun. Does it sound like we're this. having fun? We're having fun. Well, you know, last time we were in uh, the first half of chapter 9, and we see Jesus doing some amazing things. And, uh, and today we continue this ministry he's doing up in the Galilee area. But it starts off with this uh, statement, while he was saying these things. So what was he saying just before Remember, today? Remember, he had been at a party at Matthew's house with a lot of tax gatherers check, check. and sinners. Right, right. And then he had answered this question from the disciples of John about fasting. And he starts talking about the bridegroom. And then he makes these two metaphors about a, a patch on an old garment and new wine oh, in yeah, the old wineskins. Oh, yeah, the wineskin wine thing. So right. and we, we right. talked a little bit about the, the, the contrast between just trying to paste a different way of thinking on an old yes. way of life. Yes. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 we're starting completely new. This new. is something new yeah. here. And then we spend a little bit of time talking about the new covenant, knowing God and being forgiven of our sins and his spirit being placed in us. Yeah. So yeah. he's he's not saying those things in that kind of detail, but he's talking to this mixed crowd. And then Matthew goes right on with the story saying, and while he was saying these things. So we're starting in verse 18 of chapter so, yeah. 9. So what he's saying is that this whole idea that Jesus is going to be doing stuff right. now, and it's going to be in a wholly new context. Totally different. Yeah. So don't judge him too quickly because what he's doing is not going to map to anything you've seen in the past. This is a new thing. This is not. And yet there's a yeah. relationship to the past. That's right. So let's find out how. Okay. If you want to follow, we're in chapter 9, verse 18. Of Matthew. Of Matthew. Okay. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Mm. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. <laughs> but when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that District. Well, I guess so. Okay, now it's important to read the whole story because we've got a yeah. par two parallel things There's two happening. Things. Right? Two things Both being healed. Two people women, being healed. A, a young girl and an right. older woman. Right. And 
And it's an important Bible study technique to look at the parallel accounts in the other Gospels. So Mark Mark 5 and Luke 8 both contain this Mm -hmm. exact same story, but they add more detail. Yeah, yeah. So we find out that this was a ruler of the synagogue, Mm -hmm. so he was a Jewish leader. His name was Jairus, and the daughter was 12 years old. Right. Well, when we find out that the woman had been suffering from her issue for 12 years that is an interesting bit of parallelism in the story Mm -hmm, there mm -hmm. are other things like that but those are those are details that come from reading the parallel accounts yeah 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 it's the only place we know that it's gyrus (laughs) right so that that helps although you know i I don't think that means much to us because we don't have any other history about him i don't think i'd have to go except that mark and luke both include his name so it must their readers they must have assumed that his name was important exactly because you know these gospels would be read to people who could still be alive who recognize his name and say that gyrus oh that gyrus especially mark's gospel because it was written very early yeah yeah so anyway so gyrus comes desperately Desperate, desperate, because he says his daughter's died. Just to let you know, the other passages, he says that she's dying. Right, right. But, you know, apparently here he's he's saying, no, she might be gone already. So it's interesting that he's a ruler of the synagogue, and yet we had just had Jesus having this interchange with the Pharisees and the, and right, the scribes, right. and, and they're saying, you know, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? But here's one of their own. Yeah, a Jewish leader Who, coming right in and kneeling before Jesus. Right, and it, it, it's not a small thing to kneel before him, you mm, know, because you know no. it takes it takes me back in Acts when Peter goes up to Cornelius up in Caesarea, the centurion up there, mm. and as soon as Peter shows up on the spot, Cornelius comes and kneels before him. Right, right. It's a it's a worship that is thing, deeply reverential. Right, yeah. and and Peter says, "Hey, stand up! I'm a man just like you." So right. when this man kneels before Jesus, he's saying something from a worship context mm-hmm. about who this Jesus is, and clearly. He he knows that Jesus is not just a man, which is why he's doing this. And in this case, as opposed to Peter, Jesus doesn't say, no, get up, get up. I'm just a man like you. He he just lets him worship. He it's lets interesting. him kneel there. Yeah. So he makes his appeal. He says, my daughter's dead, but if you come, she'll live. No, that, that again. Okay, that's a pretty amazing statement right it there. Is. It is. His expectation is <laughs> yeah. that Jesus can either keep this girl from dying or bring her back from the dead. That's a huge statement. I mean, that's a big deal. And it's public, yeah. right? It's before everybody. Yeah. So Jesus says, okay, so here's this guy who has who has some kind of audience with Jesus. And now we switch to a parallel story of a woman who's trying not to have an audience with Jesus. <laughs> She's trying to stay undercover. Well, and remember, Jesus is in the middle of a crowd. So yes. he's working his way through a crowd a to go with Jairus across town yeah. or wherever to yeah. where his daughter is. And, and she technically, because of her illness, she technically is unclean and can't be with people. Right. And it'd be not, not only presumptuous to push in, into this crowd, but even to push in close to Jesus and make well, him unclean. And the issue of touch is very important here because yeah. Jairus comes and says, "If you come and lay her hand or lay your hand on her, right, she'll right. right." So he's seeking Jesus to come and touch his daughter. This woman is seeking to touch Jesus and mm-hmm. not even his hand. Right. Just. Just just the fringe. The fringe of Just the his fringe. garment. And previously we saw that centurion who said, no, 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 you don't, you don't have, have to come, come touch anything. You just, <laughs> just say the word, things will happen. So it's an interesting spectrum of yeah. faith here. But they all have enough faith to know that Jesus is someone special who can heal and he's from God. So that they have in common in terms of their faith. So she does touch the fringe of his garment. She's doing it as undercover as possible. Mm-hmm. She just does not want to be spotted because in the village people know you're not supposed to be close to this woman. Right. But she's going to brave the crowd 
She's going to brave uh, whatever Jesus' reaction might be, and she touches it. She touches the fringe, and uh, according to the other passages, she knows immediately that she's been healed immediately. And Jesus knows immediately yeah. that someone has been healed, That's even right. though he did not consciously turn around and heal her. Right, and he does something really unpredictable. He he stops the whole parade. Right. I mean, stops the whole, as you're, as you're trying to heal Jairus' daughter, I mean, there's a lot at stake here. I'm sure Jairus is going crazy when he stops the parade. Yeah. And he says, uh, who touched me? And Peter responds, look, there's a lot of people around right. you. Right. Read the other passages. It's really great that the way. other details. Are just yeah. wonderful. But then at that point, it says in the other one of the other passages that Jesus actually scans the crowd. Yeah, he's like looking from eye to eye, and she's trying to hide. In fact, I suspect she was exiting. She was on her way out of the crowd. As soon as she realized she was healed, she says, "Okay, I'm good. I'm I'm going to kind of fade back." And so Jesus scans the crowd, and suddenly he makes eye contact with her. She realizes she's no longer hidden, and she has to fess up, and she makes it known who she is and what she's done. Go read the other passages. It's really great. But what is so greatly beautiful, dramatic. and all the writers capture this. Jesus calls her daughter. Yeah, I think this because is... she's you know the contrast here between the daughter of the synagogue official. She's the daughter of a somebody. Exactly. Right. We're seeing a contrast and in privilege here. Here we have a woman who is a daughter of Abraham. I think that's what God. That's what Jesus calls her in one of the other passages. Yes, a daughter. Yes. Oh, daughter. Oh, daughter. So there's a relationship established right there between Jesus and this nobody woman. She's so nobody because of her disease that she's just not included. And it's fact, well, she's not even a citizen in a way. No, she had been ritually she unclean and barred from ceremonial participation for 12 years. 12 years. The same years. length of time. As the age of this little girl. Exactly. exactly. Oh, there's some beautiful, interesting. So you could say here. here, at the same moment that this woman um, finds life after 12 years, the little daughter who's been living and died finds life again mm. the same day. Uh, it's yes, intermingling these two stories is is not a uh, fictional device. It's the no. way it happened. This is it's the, the way, way God wants you to ask questions when you see the contrast to these two. Yeah, it's really something. So I would just strongly encourage you, go and read the parallel accounts because Jesus' conversation at this point with the father of the daughter, Jairus, I think it's right. Luke who records it. I think it because is. Because Jairus yeah. is put out, Lord, you're wasting time. Yeah. And he says, he gives Jairus yeah. an opportunity. You know, you, you already believe, keep on believing mm -hmm. and you'll see the glory of God. So yeah. uh, they get to the house. They get to the house. The, the paid mourners are there. Right. According to law, you had to have you had to pay for at least two flutists and at least one crier. <laughs> that was the minimum requirements during the day. Okay, but that was not mosaic law. That no, was rabbinic that was just law. yeah, it's a tradition. Yeah. And he gets there, and uh, they're making quite commotion. And he says, he says, he tells him, "Go away. The girl's dead, and not dead. She's sleeping. She's sleeping. She's sleeping." Which, of course, they being experts on what death looks like because they are professional mourners, their response is to laugh at him. Which, you know, they're convinced this girl's dead. They, they just know it. They know. They know what death looks like. But it is interesting that Jesus says she's sleeping. She's not dead. And, and actually, all through the rest of uh, the New Testament, that's how right. Christians are described when they die. Is they're, right. not, they're not permanently gone, dead-like. They're just sleeping, and one day they'll wake up yeah, again. Because whatever happens to the body is a temporary thing. That's right. Because right? there's, there's more after that. Yeah. So, and so that's exactly what he says here. He's, she's sleeping. She, she's not dead. It is interesting how fast that mourning crowd turns from mourning 
to ridicule. Yeah, to ridiculers. <laughs> I think this, this is like instantaneous. Well, because the whole thing is a show, right? right There's a whole right. lot going on. So, I mean, I mean, last time they called Jesus a blasphemer. Here they're ridiculing, ridiculing him because he doesn't understand what death looks like. And here's the guy who knows life and death probably well, yeah, well, more than anybody. He's the author of life. Of life. Yeah. <laughs> so it is, so you, again, you see Jesus taking dings here for doing the right thing. Um, but it, but it, sure enough, the crowd gets put outside. He goes in. He takes her hand again. Another, another lovely kind of gesture. He takes her hand, and the girl rises. And uh, and then you know when she appears, the the report goes throughout the entire region. It's just a beautiful picture beautiful picture and it didn't it didn't matter if they de- if they delayed on the way to Jairus's no. house to, to deal with this other woman who had the 12 years of sickness it didn't ma- matter at all but that's what Jairus had to believe that's what he had to believe <laughs> right right it, it's a similar kind of thing because when Lazarus is close to death right. and the sisters send message to Jesus who's a couple days off Jesus decides to deliberately, deliberately stay waits. and he mm-hmm. waits until Lazarus dies and it becomes quite well known and so you know, many times we look at we, when we ask God for things and we ask God to do things like now and they're not happening, the timeline kind of messes with our expectations. Yeah. Here, the timeline with Jairus' daughter is, you know, it's irrelevant. He's in charge of that. And with Lazarus, timeline's irrelevant. He's in charge of that. He's in charge of all time. It just doesn't matter. But we, like Jairus, get hung up. You got to hurry or things are going to be lost. He's not only in charge of all time, he is in charge of all life. Yeah. Life yeah. belongs to him. Yeah, it's just a it's just a reminder to me that when my clock gets impatient with mm-hmm. God, he he is he's on top of things. <laughs> and I, I'm sure that's what Jairus is thinking here too. He was always on top of things. Yeah. Well, you want to push on oh, past uh, There's so much people? more we could say about just that. Tons. Just yeah, really tons. Yeah, really tons. But but Matthew's purpose is to make it very clear, indisputably clear, that this is Messiah. This is the sin. Without question. Right. And right. so the things that he is doing are indisputable evidences that he is the sent one. So picking it up in verse 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy <laughs> on us, son of David. Okay, so they're using a messianic title. They're for calling him. him Messiah. They can't see him with their physical eyes, right, but they right. know who he is. Right. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes. According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. <laughs> right, how could that could We've be? heard that before. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all the district. Well, for one thing, how could nobody know about it when these guys who were blind now yeah, can right. obviously right. see? right. Right. I, I, I chuckle every time I read this because it says the two blind were following him. And I always write in the margin, well, how did they follow him if they're blind? But you Well, know, they were following the crowd. They followed the crowd, exactly. And But they followed the crowd and they cried aloud. But also, blind people hear things, Yeah. right? They are yeah. better at following along what's happening than you think they yeah. are. But they just have to get close enough to the hubbub of the right. crowd so that they can cry out, you know, uh, have mercy on a son of David. Now, it's, it's interesting <sighs> that they ask for his mercy. Because we were talking about that before, <laughs> yeah. about mercy, and uh, it, this always indicts me as well when I when I have a problem. I'm not blind, but when I you know have a cold or a fever or something like that, what I always ask for is God heal me from this. And what mm. I really probably should be praying for is God, um, just be merciful. You see my situation. Can mm-hmm. you just sort of, however you see the situation needs to 
move forward for my good, uh, I'll go with that. So have well, mercy on and me. And mercy has to do with the alleviation of suffering. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, and God, we know, describes himself as compassionate and merciful. Mm-hmm. Right. God is all about alleviating our suffering, uh-huh. ultimately he the suffering it. that's caused by our sin. Yeah, yeah. He sees that and he's merciful. And he's merciful. So why do you think it is that Jesus asked him the questions? Do you, do, do you believe I'm able to do this? I mean, doesn't it sound like they are already proclaiming that? Well, maybe it's for the benefit of the people who are standing around. Yeah, I think it is. I think it totally is because I think they're already there. They're calling him the son of David. They're calling right. him Messiah. So they're saying publicly, yep, you can do this. And so he touches their eyes. And according to your faith, he says, be it done to you. So it's interesting because they had already seen him in reality, right? right. They knew who he was. Yeah, yeah. So So he says, "Okay, let's make your make your physical condition consistent with your faith condition." Yeah, and once again here, he does not correct them for being for them calling him the son of David, the Messiah. He does not correct them. Uh, He takes that as because that's who he truly is, and then he proves that their acclamation of who he is with that name is indeed who he is by them healing the blind. In fact, you know, healing blind, that was like the top of the healing list. I mean, if you could heal a blind person, you were really something. Because nobody had ever done it. Because it had never been done. Never been done. And if you if you want to look at another blind guy heal, go to John 9. Oh, it's a fascinating yeah. section because just no one wanted to accept that it had happened. It was just so beyond the pale. I mean, it's just way out there. And here's two blind guys who get healed. So, of course, they can't... <laughs> They got to tell somebody. <laughs> and so they run around and they tell of fame through the district. We need to move on. You think? Okay. Okay. And as they were going away, boy, we have action on action on action. Yeah. As those two were it's going away, day. verse 32, behold, <laughs> a demon oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. Oh, they got their theology messed up. Again, we're back to, you know, they accuse him of blasphemy, but but they are profoundly guilty of it. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's interesting because we've been reading this story. We were already on the other side of the Sea of Galilee when the the two guys with the demons named Legion. So, I mean, for us, we're reading the story going, oh, no, we've seen this happen before. But on this side of the lake, I don't think it has. I mean, it's just a remarkable thing that they're seeing the demons come out. And there's also, there's sort of a hidden little detail right here. You know, in this case, the demon-oppressed man was mute. Right. Which is really interesting because the rabbis at the time, uh, they tried to do... um, uh, exorcisms mm-hmm. of demons and stuff like that, and their their idea was the process was first you had to you had to trick the demon into telling you his name, and then once you had the demon's name, it was kind of like a a handle or yeah, a like way a of power, getting a power, a power of getting in. Yeah. So once you had their name, then they could proclaim to the name of the demon, be gone, you know. But until you had the name, you couldn't get anywhere. In terms of rabbis' traditions, now this is not biblical. That's rabbis' traditions. And so here, here's this spirit who makes him mute so he can't tell what his name is to the rabbis. <laughs> so in a way, this is, this is a closed case. This is a way none of the rabbis was ever going to be able to heal this guy because if you don't have the name of the demons, what are you going to do? But of course, to Jesus, it's like, Psh, who needs a name? <laughs> <laughs> who needs? Now, you remember on the other side of the lake, when he does 
um, confront those guys. He asked them. He asked their name. He says, the demon, what's your name? We're legion, because we're many. Yeah, so that was actually part of the idea of doing the casting out. But here, this is why this is so remarkable. We've never seen anything like this. Jesus doesn't need a name. He doesn't need a name. He can command them to be gone, and they're gone. And so the crowds marvel as a result. Yeah, and then proof, the man can speak. <laughs> He's mm -hmm. mute no more. Yeah. So what do you take of the fact that Pharisees, they really get all twisted here trying to explain what was just so obvious that they just saw happen. He casts out demons by the prince of demons. That's Satan himself. Well, you know, in on another occasion when they said that, he said, you know, a house divided itself against itself yeah. can't stand. Logically, this says, doesn't you know, work. This does not make any sense. Yeah, this doesn't work. But they do know that what they're saying right here is we have seen something right. supernatural. And they have to have a supernatural explanation right. for it. So since he could not be Messiah right. in, their thinking, in their thinking, there must be another answer. So you go to the other supernatural source, which is Satan himself. And yet Jesus is doing and has done things that no one else has done, right? right. Healing right. the blind, giving utterance to the mute, healing the lame. The lame, yeah. Cleansing lepers. Right, uh, right. Raising the dead, right? <laughs> yeah, little stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who... Yeah, who uh, in fact, I brought up Isaiah 35. Uh, well, right. I had you know, that actually on my page Yeah, here. then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf, un deaf unstopped, and then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Yeah. So, you know, that's what God does. And only God does that. So for these Pharisees to say, well, it's... Is right, Satan it's just a bigger, it. worse demon. Yeah, man, are they messed up. That's just really messed up. Well, we got to push on. Shall we push on? Okay. And Jesus went throughout all the cities, this is verse 35, in villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. So, okay, so he's doing things that the king, the one in authority, only can do. That's right. Right. He's that's serving right. notice on the whole nation. And that's how he proclaims the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah. Okay, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Mm. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This just makes me smile, right? Because <laughs> who were that first batch of laborers sent out were going to be these very guys he's saying, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's such a beautiful picture. He's summarizing what's going on in the general region mm -hmm. as he's healing diseases, every affliction, you know, teaching in synagogues. By the way, there was... All over the country, he was there, traveling everywhere. There was always in the synagogues what I like to jokingly call the open mic time. There was always a section <laughs> where you could get up and speak, you know, and so that's what he's taking advantage of. Paul did that as well as he mm -hmm. traveled around to the Mediterranean, he used those times. But he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. And uh, and when he saw the crowds, it's just what a wonderful comment when he saw the crowds he had compassion mm. for them and in my looking i was really curious about that word compassion found out that it's a uh, it's an extraordinarily strong word for compassion and in fact some commentators as they as they went through classic greek literature and tried to get an understanding right, of this word of what this word is they can't find it anywhere mm. so a lot of people think that in this first century the, the apostles or whoever wrote these kind of made up the word. It was mm. a synthesized word because there was no word in classic Greek that adequately captured the depth of this word mm. compassion right here. 
deep compassion for them. They are harassed. They were helpless sheep without a shepherd. Boy, what an indictment against the Pharisees who were supposed yeah. to be their shepherds. Yeah, but not the case. Sheep without a shepherd. And then he said, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. So let's pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Wow. Which actually he'll do in the next chapter. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I wonder, you see him actually forming hearts of compassion in his followers, in the disciples, the ones he had chosen, saying, don't you see it? Yep, yep. Don't you see the need? And, uh, and don't you see what God can do to meet that need in people's lives? It's, this is clearly a huge investment in uh, softening the hearts of the apostles to the people that they would eventually see for the rest of their life. I mean, it really is, it really is something. Sheep without a shepherd. And if you know anything about sheep and how helpless <laughs> and how easily deceived and how easily spooked they are, Jesus looks at these people and says, these are, these are just like a sheep that have no shepherd, easily spooked, easily taken advantage of, and and being harassed and helpless. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that he had just been called son of David? Yes. Right? Who was a shepherd. Yep. Who God anointed king. Yep. And here we have him, the king, seeing the people as a shepherd would see them. They're just desperately in need of the care that their shepherd can give. Yep, yep. It's interesting here too. He at the end of thirty-eight, he doesn't say pray earnestly for some shepherds because that, that would be consistent with what he was just saying. No, but he talks about the fact that there's a harvest. Something has become quite ripe, and and it needs someone to come in and collect it. There's an urgency there's when an the urgency. harvest is ripe. Right, right, and the timing is perfect. And so he's asking for laborers. Because when you come to a harvest, you got to harvest fast. Right. It takes a lot all of people. All hands are required. Yeah, all <laughs> hands are, it's just, it's just urgent. So he's talking about we're at a cusp in history now where we need people to be sent out to do this harvest. And that's what we continue to do today. Well, we are out of time. Like I mentioned, uh, the, this prayer to find more harvesters is going to come up next time when Jesus names his apostles. And then he sends them out. But before he does so... He sends, spends the chapter equipping them. And so if you want to see how do you equip these raw fishermen and tax collectors to go out and speak about the kingdom and the gospel, you'll find it next week when we come and look at chapter 10 on More Than Ink. There are many more episodes of this broadcast to be found at our website, morethaninc.org. And while you're there, take a moment to drop us a note. Remember, the Bible is God's love letter to you. Pick it up and read it for yourself, and you will discover that the words printed there are indeed more than ink. Okay, are you ready? Yeah. Okay. This has been a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City.